Welcome to History of the World Part 2, a podcast dedicated to teaching world history. Welcome back to History of the World Part 2 and our second week of this new unit we just started, the Global Age of Exploration. And so if you remember last week, we were talking about how this Global Age of Exploration is really going to be a clashing of cultures, right? Where we're going to have what to the Americas was the East, European countries specifically, like Spain, like England, like France, like Portugal, beginning to learn how to travel the seas and explore various places. And we talked, if you remember last week, about all the different conquistadors and these explorers who are gonna find new routes to new places with the intention of making money. There's a big discussion um, about what's the real reason these people explored. And a lot of teachers say it was for three different reasons, the three Gs. It was either for gold, God, or glory. But I think it really boils down to just one of the Gs. And it's the, it's the G that keeps everything moving throughout the world, even into modern times. I really think it has to do with gold. And we saw that specifically last week when it came to Hernan Cortes and Moctezuma in the Aztec Empire in the Mexicas, where uh, Cortes came to what is modern-day Mexico City, uh, brought with him smallpox, killed thousands upon thousands of natives, really in the goal of trying to find gold. Yes, there was God involved, and yes, they bring Christianity, and they convert a lot of the Aztecs. But it all comes down to one big thing in my mind, and that's almost always going to be gold. And so this week, we're going to stay in the same general area. We're still talking about something that a Spanish person did, and we're still talking about the Americas. But we're going to shift our focus from the Aztecs this week down a little further south to a civilization that if you've listened to the podcast before, you've heard a little bit about, the Incans. And this was, I believe, three episodes back or so, we were talking about how the Incan Empire was one of the largest empires in history. The Aztecs, obviously, were very large as well. Um, and the Mayans before them, which we'll talk a little bit about on the second half of this podcast. But the Incans uh, were this very large empire. And a different explorer, a different conquistador from Spain, makes his way down there. And the story, unfortunately, is going to be very similar to that of what happens to Moctezuma and Cortez. When the explorer, his name was Francisco uh, Pizarro, when he makes his way to the Incan Empire, he meets the Incan emperor, his name is Atahualpa, and uh, very similar to what happens to Cortez, um, within a swift matter of weeks and months, uh, they capture Atahualpa, and they, they, they use him to get gold and to get money. 
and uh, enrich themselves and eventually kill Atahualpa, th thus destroying slowly the Incan Empire and beginning Spanish colonization. And so what I want to do today on the first half of the podcast is I'd like to go through and just give you some background information as well as talk about what we're going to be doing in class to kind of give you a fuller picture of the concept that we're learning. So to start off, let's first talk about the two people in our story. The first person we have in our story was Sapa Inca Atahualpa. Atahualpa was the 14th emperor of Tawatinsuyu, which is the native way of saying the Incan Empire. Uh, and so they'd been an empire for a number of years by this point. Again, go back to a couple podcasts back, and we talk about the beginning of the Incan Empire. They were great warriors, but also great statesmen, very smart and, and, and well-planned engineers. And so the Incan Empire, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that podcast, spanned parts of present-day Peru, Chile, Ecuador, Bolivia, and Colombia. So very much a large empire all across the northern and especially the eastern parts of South America. At the time of Atahualpa's reign, um, the Incan Empire had grown to the largest it would be. It was home to approximately 12 million people. And at the time that Atahualpa became the, the 14th emperor, um, he became Sanka Sapa Inca, which is their way for saying emperor, uh, because he defeated his, his brother, Huascar, in a civil war. So the Incan Empire was going through some major changes at the time of Atahualpa's ascension to emperor. Uh, there was a large civil war where you had people siding with Huascar and you had people siding with Atahualpa. They've been fighting each other for a number of years. And at the time of our story, Atahualpa had just become the emperor and had killed his brother and was slowly starting to piece together um, the, 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 the empire post-civil war. Now... The second part of our story, the second character in our story, is uh, Francisco Pizarro, very similar to Cortez. Pizarro was a Spanish conquistador, and he was also actually a distant cousin of Cortez. They were both from a very powerful family, obviously had enough money to lead expeditions to the New World. These guys are related, as well as their stories are related, right? Um, he, he came to, the South, to South America on a number of expeditions. His first two expeditions to conquer the Inca Empire failed due to lack of resources and the hostilities of the Inca. The Incan Empire was much more difficult to get to. Um, the Aztec Empire was simpler to get to for Cortes because all he had to do was sail around the Gulf of Mexico from Cuba and the islands, and he lands and just kind of walks a short way. To get to the Incan Empire, depending on the ways you come, you have to go over mountains, you have to, in some cases, go through jungles. It's a lot more difficult to find the, the, the home of the Incan Empire, as well as the people there were much more um, willing to attack because what had happened to the Aztecs had happened about 20 years before this, 15, 20 years before this. So there had been discussions. There had been stories that had passed down about what these people are trying to do when they come to your empire. They were already more willing to attack Pizarro. So his first two empire, or his first two expeditions into the empire failed. During his third expedition, though, he was successful. He captures and executes Atahualpa. He then travels to Cusco, which is the capital of the Inca Empire, signaling the complete and total conquest of Tawantinsuyu, the Incan Empire. He later founds Lima, which becomes the capital of Peru, and it still is to this day, right? And he makes it a Spanish colony, 
everyone there will now speak Spanish. And just like what we saw happen to the, the Aztecs where the, the religion comes in and they say, you're going to start being Christians and you're going to start speaking this language, they do the same thing to the Incans. Now, what we're going to focus on more than just that big background is we're going to focus on the actual moment, just like Hernan Cortez and Moctezuma when they met each other, we're going to focus on the moment that Pizarro and Atahualpa met each other. And they met each other at a city, a small city in the Incan Empire called, and I'm sure I'm going to get this name wrong, Cajamarca, I believe, or Cajamarca. Um, and in the story, Atahualpa was traveling with his army to Cusco to claim his position as emperor after his victory over his brother, Huascar. So he was in the middle of coming back home, going to the capital. He's triumphant. He's victorious. His brother has been defeated, and he's all happy. I'm the new emperor, right? But on his way there, he passes through the town, Cayamarca, where the Spanish forces under Francisco Pizarro have also found themselves. They kind of come to a crossroads here. And they would have known of each other. And so Pizarro invited Atahualpa to come to the plaza, to come to the central area of the city. They called it a plaza. Atahualpa entered the town with several thousand unarmed men, per the agreement. He said, we won't bring our weapons, we'll come to talk, but I'm still going to bring my men. And when they arrive, they see that there's no Spaniards. But Pizarro had ordered his men to hide in order to launch a surprise attack. He played dirty. He said, let's meet and talk, but Pizarro had hit his men. And he sent one person forward to go speak to Atahualpa, a Spanish, a Spanish friar named Vicente de Valverde. And he brought a Bible with him. And he presented it to Atahualpa at the very beginning of their meeting. And when he does this, the stories say that something interesting happened. For some reason, which is going to be the, the central question we focus on, Atahualpa threw this Bible on the ground for a number of different theories, a number of different reasons. And Valverde, the friar, brings this information back to Pizarro, and Pizarro attacks. Pizarro orders his men out of hiding. They climb over the, the ramparts that they're behind. And they capture, they, they kill a lot of the Incan soldiers. They capture Atahualpa, hold him prisoner, uh, go to the capital, uh, use him to get a bunch of money, kill him, and then the rest is history. So what we're going to be focusing on in this class, our key question this week for the Incans and Atahualpa was, why did Atahualpa throw Pizarro's Bible on the ground? What was his reasoning behind doing that? And to help us answer that question, we're going to be looking at three different sources this week. The first one we're going to look at is a textbook because it's going to do a good job of helping us understand just the general background. I've talked about before how I really don't like textbooks. I think textbooks don't, good, don't do a good job of really telling you history. Instead, they just kind of say, this is what happened, there you go. But that's not history. History is making arguments. We've talked about that on this podcast. So we're going to go through a textbook first just to give us a basic background of the, of the happenings. And then we're going to actually read some sources, primary sources, um, of what happened. 
And the first one is going to be from uh, uh, a guy named Francisco de Xerces. Um, and he's going to be a Spanish explorer. He becomes a, a historian, and he's also going to be the personal secretary of Francisco Pizarro. So this is his right-hand man. Uh, and we're going to read a little bit of what he saw um, when he was with Pizarro. Um, and these are just some of his reports on the discovery of Peru and what happened. So this is going to be what he remembers. And then we're also going to get a chance to look at Francisco Pizarro and actually get a little bit of writing from him. Um, uh, it's going to be in a, in a story or a book that was finished in 1571 called Relation of the Discovery and Conquest of the Kingdoms of Peru. Um, and so this is going to be obviously very far written in the, in the, the future from when the event happened about 50 years past when it happened, but it's from the mouth of the person who was actually involved in the event. And we're going to use these sources, like I said, to help us gain some understanding about the event to finally come to the conclusion of why did Atahualpa do this? And so with that said, that gives you a little bit of the background for this week and what we're going to be learning about. Stay tuned after the break because we're going to talk about a third civilization that by this point had disappeared, but I've had students in class ask me about them because they're part of the story of Latin and South America, and they're going to influence a lot of the what happens with the Aztecs and a lot of what happens with the Incans. We're going to get into details about the Mayan culture. So stay tuned after the break, and we'll get into the Mayans. Right, so welcome back. And on the second half of the podcast today, we're going to talk about some, some history that influences the events that we've been learning about, but we're not going to get time to talk about in class, unfortunately. We're going to be talking about the Mayan culture, the Mayan society. So we've talked about the Aztecs, we've talked about the Incans, but the Mayans are kind of their ancestors, their predecessors. This is a society that was around uh, about the year 300 or so, as the Roman Empire is falling apart, as the Dark Ages are taking hold in Europe. This is an empire that's starting to sprout in Latin America. And a lot of people say that the Mayans were kind of the first predecessors of the Aztecs and the Incans. And so what we're going to look through today is... What was the Mayans' influence on these other Mesoamerican societies, on Aztecs and Incans? What was their influence? And so first, let's get in and talk about some of the background of the Mayans. So to begin, the Mayans' capital was called Teotihuacan. And it was a city, it was a massive city in the Valley of Mexico that was established around 100 B, uh, BCE. 
or 100 years uh, before AD, right? <clears throat> right in the heart of the Roman Empire. That's over 2,000 years ago. And we know, historians know, that people lived in Teotihuacan until about 700 AD or CE. That, again, is about right in the heart of the Dark Ages. If you're looking at what's happening in Europe at this time, this is about the time of the Viking invasions in England and things, at least the very first Viking invasions. But we're right in the heart of the Dark Ages. And <clears throat> the city's population, we know that it was at its height about 250 to 550 or so, right about the time that Rome is falling. And we have very rough estimates about how big the society was, but we think there's anywhere from 80,000 to 150,000 people living in this city, Teotihuacan, at its height, making it one of the largest cities in the entire world. Uh, and in the Western Hemisphere, when we look at pr pretty much from Africa to, to the Americas, it was the largest in the Western Hemisphere. It, was, it, it rivaled Rome and, and how big it was. And I should mention, if you are uh, following uh, along with the podcast, it's always a good idea to look at pictures as we go. So you might go to Google and look up pictures of Teotihuacan, the way you spell it, T-E-O-T-I-H-U-A-C-A-N. That's how you spell it if you want to see some pictures as I talk. Um, so today... You can still go visit Teotihuacan. They still have ruins and things that are standing. And it's probably, if not the most visited archaeological site in Mexico. It's best known for three enormous pyramids that line the main avenue of the city. They had pyramids. The biggest of this, these pyramids is the Pyramid of the Sun, which some specific dimensions, it's 760 feet wide, 216 feet tall. Uh, and around it are a whole bunch of other smaller pyramids. Um, which, very interesting, how come so many different cultures developed pyramids? We have the pyramids of Egypt, we have pyramids in Asian societies, we also have pyramids in these Mesoamerican societies. Kind of a side note tangentially, but still very interesting. Now, some more background about the, uh, the Mayans and the Teotihuacan. Uh, so, we have some places that are actually still standing and we actually have some of their art that still stands or that we've been able to recreate based upon uh, what we know it looked like. So we know that the Teotihuacanos were, were skilled city planners and they made very large and colorful murals. They created roads. They created apartment complexes, ornate temples and neighborhoods. We also know that the city was a busy trade center and merchants came from near and far to sell their goods. In, in this city specifically. Uh, <clears throat> we know that Teotihuacan had very many different cultures and it was home to people from places throughout the region. Um, scholars today, people who study this today, believe the gap between the richest and the poor Teotihuacanans was very small, meaning that it had a lot of equality in its society. Um, but one of the things, unfortunately, that we don't know is we still don't know how their government worked, which is unfortunate because that would tell us how they were able to, to function and govern so well and to keep their society so, so powerful for so long. And we're also not even entirely sure what made the Mayan city, specifically the Mayan culture, cultural capital center collapse. We don't know why Teotihuacan fell apart. We know why the Aztecs fell apart. We know why the Romans fell apart. We know why uh, the, the Egyptian, ancient Egyptians kind of were assimilated. We know why the Incans fell apart. But we really don't know 
what necessarily happened to the Mayans. And so on that same note, kind of tying it back to what we are learning about, um, another big debate among historians and scholars was how much influence Teotihuacan have on other societies. Though we do have a small around, amount of writing, it was not very widespread from the Mayans. They could write, they did have a writing system, but it wasn't universal throughout Mesoamerica, which unfortunately means that we can't learn much about their society either. Unfortunately, societies that didn't write as much tended to get a lot of their information lost. Um, but we can look at the art and writings from others to try to answer this question. What was their influence on these other societies? Um, we should also mention, mention um, that the information that we're going to kind of go over and some of the art that I would challenge you to look up covers about 1,000 years of history from about the time the Romans fell apart to about the time the Renaissance started. And we also know that there were hundreds, if not thousands of different societies throughout Mesoamerica. Um, but today we're going to focus on their direct connection, the ones that they would have been most likely um, to influence the most, the Aztecs. We know that they influenced, influenced the Incans. We know that they influenced a lot of North American native tribes like the Pueblo and all these other North American tribes. Um, but we're going to do the one-to-one -one comparison that we can do the best, which is Maya to Aztecs, because they literally almost lived in the same place. So <clears throat> a little bit more background here. Mayan society, we know, begins around the year 2000 and, begin, and, and continues to this day. Since Mayan history is 4,000 years long, it's also helpful to try to understand it in terms of time periods. So we have usually in places like Egypt, in places like Greece, in places like Rome, these 3,000-year-long societies, we tend to break them down into their different pieces, the classical era in Greece, the Hellenistic era, Right, We have these different times. So we do the same thing with the Mayans. Uh, and so we say generally that from the year 250 to 900, we call that the classic period in Mayan society. During the classic period, we know that Maya made advancements in science. They had lots of science. We know they had art, math, and engineering. Um, also at this time, more Maya were moving into city centers. And Mayan legends were organized, or sorry, Mayan lands were organized into a network of city-states. And we tell legends about how these city-states grew and formed and became what they would become. Um, and so <clears throat> what we have here uh, is a whole bunch of different pictures that I would challenge you to go and look at, some of which are perhaps the most fascinating, and I'll even try to include this on the podcast description. Um, we, we do have pictures of their writing system and how it transformed over time. And it's very symbolic, uh, very much almost like caricatures, kind of the way the Chinese write and that everything is supposed to look like something else, although it has a very uh, Mesoamerican uh, side to it. We also have um, some Aztec legends that go back and talk about the people who came before them in terms of... Um, Mayans, and we know that some of the writing that they have comes directly from the Mayans as well. At least it looks very similar to, the, to, to what the Mayans had. And so what we're going to be doing in class, uh, 
relating to the Incans, we'll also kind of see pop up here a little bit with the Mayans. So to go through, the first source that we have when it comes to understanding how influential the Mayans were to the Aztecs and the Incas um, is a translation of writings um, from some monuments created around the year 379 to 504. Um, and, and the cities, the Mayan cities of Tikal, and I'm going to mess this one up, Uaxacatan. <clears throat> the the, these writings were translated by a professor of archaeology at Texas who studies Mayan society. And um, these are some of the things that we have from them specifically. We have uh, some monuments from 374 that shows an owl throwing, an, throwing a spear, becoming a king. We also have another monument um, from someone named Sia Kak arriving in the Mayan city of Tikal on January with the approval of this owl. We have another one that shows Sia Kak coming from the west. And it says, on the very same day of Sia Kak's arrival, the Tikal ruler Jag Jaguar Paw died. Within a year of Siak's arrival in Tikal, spear thrower Al son Nun Yaks Ayan became the ruler of Tikal instead of Jaguar's Jaguar Paw's son. Um, and so we have these stories, these little tiny fragments of pieces of society that we try to piece together. But David Stewart, the guy who is the person who translated this, says this. He concluded that Siakak was a foreigner, foreigner and may have started Teotihuacan's presence in Tikal. He also says, I would speculate that Siakak was the leader of a military force that overthrew Tikal's dynasty in 378 CE, killing the ruler Jaguar Paw, Jaguar Paw and installing a new ruler, Nunyak's Ion, in his place. So we have that little piece there. And then we also have some stuff that comes from the Aztecs as well. And so the Aztecs, in another source that we've seen a couple times, the Florentine Codex, uh, we saw this with the Aztecs. We also saw when we talked about the Incans a little bit. Um, talk about this society that came before them. And this comes from Book 3, Chapter 1 of the Florentine Codex. And it says this, How and where the gods began is not well known, but this is clear. At Teotihuacan, there's the city, long ago when there was still darkness, all the gods gathered together and debated who would become the sun. Then all the gods died so that the sun might come into being. It continues on. Book 10, chapter 29 refers back to Teotihuacan. It says, long ago, the Aztecs moved from the northern desert lands to the Valley of Mexico. Behold the story which the ancients told. On their long journey, the Aztecs made offerings at a place named Teotihuacan. There they raised pyramids for the sun and for the moon. Then they made many small pyramids where offerings were made. At Teotihuacan, their leaders were elected, and when the rulers died, the Aztecs buried them there and built a pyramid over them. The pyramids now stand like small mountains, though they were made by hand. And so they name it Teotihuacan because it was the burial place for the rulers. For so it was said, when we die, it is not true that we die, for still we live. We are resurrected, we are awakened. Thus the ancients said, the ruler who died became a god so that those who, those who were rulers should be obeyed. All were worshipped as gods when they died. Some became the sun, some the moon. And so, getting back to the key question here. 
we know that the Aztecs were not the people of Teotihuacan. But we also know that the Aztecs didn't come into Mexico until the 1200s, long after Teotihuacan had disappeared. But they did become, eventually, the Aztecs, the most powerful society in Mesoamerica until, obviously, Cortez comes along. And so the question starts to become, how much of the society that becomes the Aztecs was really influenced by what they saw around them by the Mayans. The Mayans claim that their ancestors built Teotihuacan, and the Mayans claim that they had intimate knowledge of the way these pyramids work, although we know that they couldn't have because they weren't in the same place at the same time. And so the question starts to become again, how much influence did the Mayan society have on the Aztecs? And as a historian, uh, an amateur historian, but someone who teaches history classes, we start to ask the question, um, what do the Aztecs get out of claiming the Mayans as their ancestors and adopting some of their language? We get a couple things. We get a road system, right? The Mayans had developed some forms of statehood, roads, some form of statehood in terms of cities. The Aztecs probably adopted some of that. There's also a cultural knowledge among the people of Mesoamerica of this ancient society of Teotihuacan, this ancient society of Mayans. And so to the, for the Aztecs to claim that they're the continuation of this ancient society, it gives them a lot of power, right? It gives them a lot of clout. It gives them a lot of, when they're conquering places, it gives them a lot of power in saying, we are, we've been around for 5,000 years. We're still around. Bow down. Do what we say. And that's how your empire expands. So the Aztecs were not the Mayans. But a lot of the stuff that they used were taken from this ancient society of the Mayans. That begs the question, who came before them? who came before them, and who came before them, right? Everything goes backwards in a way. So with that little examination of the Mayans, with what we know about the Mayans and how they influence various cultures, we also have other ways that they influence North American tribes and South American further tribes. But that finishes our discussion of the Mayans and who they were and what they did. Um, thank you for listening to the podcast. Next week, we're going to leave Americas. We're going we're to go to Africa. And we're going to start to see the story of what's happening during this time period, specifically with a lot of African cultures and societies. Thank you for listening. I look forward to seeing you in class.